This episode of The Sweaty Penguin is brought to you by Coca-Cola Sponsorships. Are you an environmental program that needs money so bad you don't care about decades of plastic pollution? Try Coca-Cola Sponsorships today. The 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference, or COP27, kicked off on Sunday in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, bringing 198 countries together to negotiate the next batch of global climate agreements. First agreement? Ban hurricanes. Seriously, why haven't we banned them yet? Seems pretty straightforward. And in setting the stage for the conference, one word has stood out among the rest. Implementation. Executive Secretary of the UN Climate Convention, Simon Steele, opened the conference saying, quote, Today a new era begins and we begin to do things differently. Paris gave us the agreement, Katowice and Glasgow gave us the plan, Sharm el-Sheikh shifts us to implementation. And if the theme is implementation, then we need to clear a few things up first. Good morning, I'm Ethan Brown, and this is Tip of the Iceberg, where I will break down some environmental news and then answer a question from our listeners on the air. Submit questions via Patreon, email, or social media. Patron questions go to the front of the line, so sign up at patreon.com slash thesweatypenguin. The Sweaty Penguin is presented by Peril and Promise, a public media initiative from the WNET Group in New York, reporting on the issues and solutions around climate change. You can learn more at pbs.org slash perilandpromise. Look, there is nothing wrong with implementation taking center stage at the largest climate gathering of the year. If Red Hot Chili Peppers wasn't available, implementation absolutely deserves the gig. It's very valid, though. I get the sense everyone is fed up with pledges for what people are going to do by 2050 or 2070, and if we talk implementation, we'll finally be talking about the here and now. That said, since that is the theme, there's a few things we first need to get on the same page about, a few more cynical and one more optimistic. First, we need to answer the question, implementing what? As Simon Steele said, Paris gave us the agreement. This was the 2015 conference, and there, the world agreed to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial times by the end of the century. Who knew croque madames made world leaders so agreeable? But then, he cites Katowice and Glasgow, sites of the 2018 and 2021 conferences, as the plan. And if we look at the plan, as it stands now, it's about as well thought out as Charlie's mailroom conspiracy and it's always sunny in Philadelphia. Don't get me wrong, a lot of thought has gone into it but based on the targets that countries have submitted for cutting emissions by 2030, the world would still warm by 2.4 degrees Celsius. If you add in longer-term pledges and targets, 
that comes down to 2.1 degrees Celsius. Now all that is noteworthy. There has been significant progress in the last seven years bringing that number down. But it's not 1.5. The plan as it stands now would not reach the goal. So that begs the question, are we implementing that plan? Or are we improving on our plan during this implementation process? But at least there's an agreed-upon goal for global temperature. Take oil and natural gas, the least healthy power couple. Well, aside from fluff and Nutella. We've been reporting for months on the 195 planned oil and gas projects around the world that would single-handedly cause enough emissions to blow past that 1.5 degrees Celsius target. What's the goal for these two energy sources, which are still needed in much of the world, but would also need to be phased down to meet global climate targets? I don't know, because the words oil and natural gas have yet to make their way into a final agreement from a COP conference. And that's infuriating, mainly because the word emphasize made it into the last agreement nine times. What is this, a high school English paper? How many times do you need the word emphasize? I mean, have you heard of a thesaurus? In all seriousness, I get that it's a tough topic. But if you can't write the words oil and natural gas... What plan are you implementing? Somehow, countries have managed to avoid scrutiny for the blatant omission of these words from their agreements. As a journalist and commentator, I hope the media can do their part in pointing out this omission. It's like opening a pizza place and completely avoiding the word cheese on the menu, or creating a first username as an 8th grader and not putting 69420 at the end. Another topic without a stated goal? Loss and damage. Loss and damage refers to the damage from climate-fueled natural disasters and the costs of cleaning them up. Think of the costs of rebuilding after a hurricane, or health bills for those who suffered injuries. Now, I misexplained this slightly last week, and I apologize for that. I said loss and damage was a part of adapting to climate change. That was wrong. It isn't. Adaptation refers to preparations you take in advance of these disasters, not necessarily the cleanup. Loss and damage has made its way prominently onto the agenda for COP27, including what could be a very contentious discussion about money. Yes, even more contentious than when you asked your parents how to open a bank account and they said, come on, it's tacky to discuss finances. Since developed countries have reaped the economic benefits of fossil fuels, and developing countries are some of the hardest hit by climate change, much of the world feels there ought to be a process where developed countries cover the costs that developing countries now face. Some developed countries are open to it, but most are wary of legal ramifications, backlash from their citizens or politicians, and whether or not their peers would actually follow through. That's all fair. It's a tough issue, and I'll keep you posted on how those talks go. But again, if this is the implementation conference, we don't have a loss and damage plan to implement yet. Maybe that will come over these next weeks. I'm just stating the obvious. We're not fully out of the goal setting and planning phase when it comes to loss and damage. 
And there's a long list of other topics I could get into where either the goal, the plan, or both are missing. Does that mean COP27 can't be about implementation? No, of course it can. It just means we as observers have to ask the right questions. What are you implementing? What are your goals? Are your plans in line with your goals? Everyone at COP27 knows current plans are insufficient, oil and gas are hiding in the shadows, loss and damage needs to be further fleshed out, etc. This isn't shocking. It's not like Billie Eilish's Halloween costume. But I hope everyone realizes that COP27 needs answers to these questions if it is to be a successful implementation conference. On the flip side, we're also already implementing a lot. In just the last year, we've seen the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States, the Fit for 55 package and Repower EU in the European Union, the Green Transformation Program in Japan, new clean energy targets in China and India, and more. And to top it all off, Diddy's vegan. Due to these developments, this year's World Energy Outlook from the International Energy Agency found that the world is on track to see its emissions in the energy sector peak in 2025 and then start to fall. These policies would see coal use fall back within a few years, natural gas use plateau by the end of the decade, and oil demand start to level off in the mid-2030s. This is the first time the World Energy Outlook has projected a flattening of the curve for all three fossil fuels. And that's just one recent example of good news. Again, I could go on and on. Solar and wind are becoming cheaper. There's massive investments in the private sector. And marine biologists just found a 6,000-pound sunfish. Come on, who doesn't love a chunky sunfish? But the last thing I would want is for someone to hear this is the first implementation conference and think we haven't implemented anything. Is it enough to meet the 1.5 goal? No. But it's progress. It's significant progress. It's like a 15-day streak on Duolingo level progress. It would be pretty depressing if we knew about climate change for several decades and had implemented nothing to this point. And a lot of people I talk to seem to think that's the case. If we act like this week is the first time the world is discussing the implementation of changes, it might reinforce that misperception and leave people even more overwhelmed. There's a lot more work to do, don't get me wrong, but if we're going to criticize the cases where countries haven't stepped up, we also have to praise the cases where they have. That praise is not just meant for the egos of world leaders. It's for all of us to be aware of the good news and to keep our hope and optimism alive. As has been the case with past conferences, I've seen a lot of people declare COP27 a bust before it even started. And I get it. When nearly 200 countries with completely different perspectives have two weeks to form agreements about this challenging of an issue, it's hard to imagine that going well. Even getting them to agree on breakfast must be a challenge. Denmark wants Danishes, Australia wants Marmite, and the US wants that Chips Ahoy cereal that's basically cookies in a bowl. 
This year, agreements may be even more challenging. With an energy crisis fueled by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, worsening relations between the world's two largest emitters in China and the United States, and floods, droughts, and other climate disasters, creating a heightened sense of urgency from developing countries who badly need funds to recover. But surprisingly, this process has worked. We have made progress, and it is in everyone's best interest to continue that progress. That's why I'm optimistic, or at the very least, not roasting the conference from the get-go. If world leaders know there's a 6,000-pound sunfish out there, there's no question they'll work to ensure it has the healthiest ecosystem possible. Are you the United Nations Climate Change Conference? Then try Coca-Cola Sponsorships are for you. With Coca-Cola Sponsorships, you can have the funds to put your conference while Coca-Cola brags about the world being green. Heard Coca-Cola produces 120 billion throwaway plastics per year, making them the world's biggest plastic polluter. Ah, screw it. Read about the nonprofit they founded in 1953 called Keep America Beautiful that started the concept of littering to put the blame of the plastic on the individuals and not themselves. Come on, that was 70 years ago. They've changed. Coca-Cola sponsorships. If the UN Climate Change Conference says it's okay, then we do it too. The Sweaty Penguin is presented by Peril and Promise, a public media initiative from the WNET Group in New York, reporting on the issues and solutions around climate change. You can learn more at pbs.org slash perilandpromise. Welcome back to Tip of the Iceberg. It's time for Ask Me Anything, where our listeners get a chance to ask me any environmental questions they may have. Submit questions on our Patreon, email, or social media. Questions from patrons go to the front of the line, so be sure to sign up today at patreon.com slash thesweatypenguin. We have a very special treat today. We've got one of our listeners on the line, Taylor. Taylor, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? I'm good. So uh, you have a question for us? Well, yeah, because like I know like the like the UN conference is coming up and like I really I feel like we have there's so many issues with like climate change and whatnot. And I feel like, you know, going into these conferences, I feel like people just like don't even care anymore. Um and I feel like as us as like a young generation, you know, that we do listen in and we see what, you know, the United Nations does, how can we help like, you know, instill what they're saying? Like, you know, they can pledge one thing, but like, how can we deliver it? You know, so for like the, for our children's children, you come into this world, you know, like, because I feel like there's like our, our environment is dying. <laughs> That's a that's a great question. I think that these conferences can have a lot of mixed feelings for a lot of people because on the one hand you get all the leaders of the world into one room talking about climate change, that's awesome, but on the other hand, countries don't have any real enforcement mechanism. They are only accountable to each other through voluntary measures. The UN is not some 
global governments that can say, oh, you didn't live up to your climate pledge, you're in trouble. They just are a space for people to convene. So when countries make these pledges, when they sign treaties, there's no binding mechanism. There's no way to force them to follow through on them. Uh, if a country wanted to, they could even leave the UN, though I wouldn't see that happening. So in that sense, I think there can be a little bit of pessimism associated with these conferences. And that's where I think as young people or just as anyone in society, what we can do is keep an eye on what countries pledge and then make sure that they actually are following through on that. A pledge at a UN conference is not a policy yet. And sometimes, like in the US, for example, you might have the president or someone representing the president go to a conference and make a pledge, but that still has to get through Congress, the Supreme Court, all of our other government bodies as well. That's true of a lot of other countries. So we want to keep an eye on what they're pledging. And we also uh, have a role in kind of holding ourselves accountable to say, all right, we pledge this. Now, what exactly are we doing to follow through on that? And I think, uh, I don't know exactly when this will come out, either right before election day or after election day. But regardless, that's obviously an opportunity for people to make their voices heard. Um, I know activism and protest are very commonly discussed ones, but there's even other ways. I'm not a big protest person, but I found through doing this podcast, through doing writing and journalism, that I was able to have a voice. Um, people can do it just within their own homes or businesses or whatever. So there's a lot of ways that you can have a voice in this sort of thing. And looking to these conferences and what countries pledge is a great kind of grounding point grounding point for uh, what you might want to say. Ah, I can, I get that. I totally see that because I do feel like, you know, the older generation who goes to the UN, I feel like a lot of times they go and they're like, and like you said, like they make a pledge and they can really just like be crossing their fingers behind their back. Like, nope, just kidding. Like not. Um, and it's really up to us to to move forward to get things done like I just feel like we're the ones who care more because we have more time left on this earth than they do <laughs> if that if that makes sense <laughs> yeah for sure I always think it's interesting because on the one hand a lot of things like air pollution and that sort of thing can actually disproportionately affect older people who might have other health conditions but at the same time with us living here longer I think we always kind of tend to be communicated to as the ones who it matters for the most. And to me, it matters to everybody. I'm curious, do you, knowing that the conference is coming up, how would you kind of rate yourself on a scale from cynical to optimistic? I guess I'm kind of like in the middle. Like I always feel like I'm excited to hear, you know, what, you know, they're, they're what everyone has to say, what, they want to do to move forward to you know help change um but then I just feel like the follow-through 
it's just kind of a letdown, you know, I, I don't feel like there has been much change. Like I feel like from our political leaders, I guess is more like, I feel like we're, I feel like more of the change of more of like where I feel optimism and where I feel excitement is, you know, listening to like podcasts that you're creating, kind of going onto social media, kind of connecting with people um, in young, like environmental groups, you know, activists. I feel like that's more of an, you know, an enthusiasm for me um you know and we all kind of get excited when we hear the conference and then it's just kind of like well okay let's let's see if it's going to change this year let's see what's going to happen yeah for sure and something we certainly try to do on our podcast is highlight what all actually is happening because certainly there has been a lot of climate progress but sometimes it gets brushed under the rug we often think of it as like we're starting at square zero but at this point, we're really not. We're well on our way. We just kind of need to pick up the pace. And so I definitely hope that this conference can uh, get some good conversations going and maybe get some more. It's weird to talk too excitedly about pledges. To me, I think uh, more setting short-term goals and things that we can see like in a year or two, how successful it's been can be a little more exciting. But regardless, I'd love to see some progress out of uh, this conference. Um, thanks so much for the question, Taylor, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you all for listening to Tip of the Iceberg. And by the way, if you want to get your question answered live on the show, I think that was a lot of fun, uh, shoot me an email, shoot me a message, and we can schedule that and make it happen. I would love to get more of your voices on Tip of the Iceberg. And if you want to help us out and get a shout out at the end of the show, you can either leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple or Podcast Addict, or join our Patreon at patreon.com slash thesweatypenguin. Doing either earns you a special shout out at the end of the show. Joining the Patreon gets you merch, bonus content, and your questions move to the front of the line for Tip of the Iceberg. The Sweaty Penguin is presented by Peril and Promise, a public media initiative from the WNET Group in New York, reporting on the issues and solutions around climate change. You can learn more at pbs.org slash perilandpromise. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the host and guests. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions or views of Peril and Promise or the WNET Group. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you on Friday for a deep dive on our sixth carbon bomb. We'll be going up to North Dakota to discuss the Bakken Formation, so I will see you then.